Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Bottom Six. And Father, I want to talk about a word that we use in church, but it also applies to the cyclical world that we don't often discuss very much. And that word's obligations. So I think that when we think about it in the secular world, an obligation is something that we have to do no matter what, and there's no physical choice or option around it. But when we actually think about it, it's something that you ought to do and you should do, but in reality, you could choose not to. And we can think of lots of examples that are on the negative side that are all revolve around that. Um, you know, you're obligated to, you know, putting your best effort at work. You're obligated to, you know, be the best person that you can for society's sake. And basically being that, that these are requirements that are pushed upon you. You know, I have an obligation I'm going to uphold. I'm going to do this, that for someone. Stuff like that. But in the church, we also have what are called obligations too. And the one that comes to mind the most is the obligation to attend Mass on Sundays. So I want to let you take over from here to set the groundwork and just have a conversation about why as a society and a faith that it's important to have obligations, why we should treat them seriously, and then ultimately the downsides of neglecting honoring our obligations. Well, it's an interesting point. I, I'm not really sure about that word uh, obligation, and I don't know that we actually use that officially in the church. It's, uh, it's an interesting thing to reflect on. Uh, we certainly use it culturally to talk about your Sunday obligation. I don't actually know where that phrase came from, if that's, uh, but I don't think it's canon law. We don't speak about, uh, well, maybe about rights and obligations, rights and responsibilities. Um, but in any event, you know, I think, uh, we we would need structures, you know, I mean, it's just related to the whole structure of law in general. Uh, why do you have a speed limit? You know, we don't often talk about it as your driving obligation, but uh, any time that you have an imposed limit from the outside and there are usually penalties uh, associated with uh, breaking someone's obligation. So whether that's breaking the speed limit or whether that's... Uh, Oh, I don't know, breaking, breaking other obligations that we have in, uh, in, in structures to, uh, to participate in things or to pay your, your uh, taxes or uh, to do, do other parts that make the, the, really the structure of society. I mean, uh, generally in canon law, we talk about rights and responsibilities. Um, I suppose it rights and obligations. You know, one person's right imposes an obligation on another person. So we, we talk about the Sunday obligation, the faithful to attend mass, but the, uh, the, the right of the Catholics to sacraments imposes an obligation on priests to celebrate the sacraments. And so there, there's a kind of contractual element to that, um, or at least a balanced element to that, uh, that you know, these are, these are the things that work out together. If you have, you know, if you have an obligation to pay taxes, I suppose uh, it it imposes an obligation on somebody else to actually evaluate your taxes and give you tax refunds and things like that. So um, that structure of requirements that's that cascades from 
you know, one person or one organization to another is just part of what makes it possible to have an, such an intricate society. I mean, if you think about the things that are possible because people drive the speed limit, I, I can tell you having been in India where there are essentially no traffic laws, it's complete chaos and nobody moves anywhere. It's a uh, maximum speed is about 20 miles an hour because there are 7 million cars on the road. There are no lanes. And so people are all over the place, including on the sidewalks and a number of other things. I'm not trying to pick on India, but just uh, an example that comes to mind. So having ob obligations, keeping people in their lane, having a good functioning of society at, at some level just makes it possible for us to flow smoothly together. But, um, you know, in terms of uh, moral obligations, so let me let me approach now from a different perspective and talk about you know, the, the obligation, the Sunday obligation, as we call it, which again, I'm not entirely happy with that phraseology, but the Sunday obligation is a precept of the church. So the church in canon law says that uh, in order to fulfill the divine requirement, the divine law to keep the Lord's day holy, to keep holy the Sabbath, the way that you do that, at least, is by celebrating the Mass that, or by participating in the Mass. That as the highest form of prayer, as the greatest gift that God has given us, as the fulfillment of divine justice in terms of giving thanks to God for what he has done for us in creation and redemption, that that's just essential, that you're not really observing the Sabbath if you're not participating in the mass, that's the kind of the essential logic behind obliging the participation in the mass on Sundays. So, but the divine law is to keep the Lord's day holy and to keep the Lord's day set apart for the Lord and to use that day to give, to focus on giving glory to him, giving honor to him. And part of that is in, uh, allowing ourselves to be recreated, to have recreation, allowing ourselves a greater breadth of uh, charitable activity, uh, corporal works of mercy, allowing ourselves to spend time giving thanks to God by enjoying the gift of family, uh, also giving thanks to God very directly by spending time in prayer. And again, the church says, well, you do all of this at the same time if you go to Mass. So a cornerstone of people's Sunday observation, uh, Sunday obligation, should be the participation in the Mass. Then you're spending time with the parish family. You're giving thanks to God in the highest form of prayer. Presumably, you're going to Mass with your own family. You're also setting time aside from work and other activities in order to go to Mass. So the Sunday Mass as a way of fulfilling so many of the dimensions of the divine requirement. But the divine requirement is to keep the Lord's Day holy. It's not to attend Mass. That's, a, that's an application of the Catholic Church as a, a way of fulfilling that. So in this time of the uh, coronavirus pandemic, it's possible for the bishops to say, well, ordinarily speaking, that would be a good idea. But in this time, because you could end up killing a bunch of people, going to Mass is not necessarily a good idea. 
And so uh, let's kind of work around that. Now that's fluctuated and your, uh, your eye roll also uh, echoed my uh, eye roll in my own heart, but whatever, you know, we're, we're figuring this out as we go along so we can be as charitable as possible and understanding the decisions that are being made. But the point being, uh, in, a, in a time that there is a, a heavy contagion and a serious danger, or in a time that there would be a heavy persecution, it's, it's possible for the bishops to say, okay, well, ordinarily, under normal circumstances, the best way to keep the Lord's Day holy is by coming together as a group and attending Mass. But if that's going to lead to you know, the government mowing down everybody with machine guns, well, that's not really going to keep the Lord's Day holy in the most effective way. So let's look at different options in those extreme circumstances. But um, anyway, the point is, starting from the divine requirements, well, we could even look at the requirements of nature. You know, you have an obligation to eat if you're going to stay alive. You have an obligation to breathe if you're going to stay alive. And, and also, uh, staying alive is not enough in terms of just feeding ourselves as if we were plant life. Uh, we also have an obligation to maintain social structures and uh, relationships and a mutuality and love and service. And then how do we do that in the best way? Well, you know, that's, that's where the divine law of charity comes in, that God teaches us through the Ten Commandments, how we can live out the, the structures of society and human relationships in a way that's really upbuilding and nourishing to our humanity and uh, you know, the kind of thing that plants don't have to do, uh, but we do have to do because we're not plants. We're human beings that that are uh, relational creatures by at, at our essence. So um, living that out in a, in a valuable way. But we're also in relationship with God. And so as parts of relationships, there are things that you have to do. Otherwise, it won't be a relationship. It'll fall apart. Uh, now, we want to even go beyond what is obliged in a relationship and that's uh, where charity comes in so anyway i've talked around a lot of stuff and hopefully you've heard something that you want to uh continue a little deeper with yeah so a as you just discussed there there's a natural starting point that separates us from a tree and that being the fact that a tree just is going essentially off of instincts, even though they're probably technically more base than that because they're not animals. Um, but if you look at a at a wild animal, it acts off of instinct. If you see a deer in the woods, first it clams up and then it runs away. And hopefully there's not four children behind it that you run over with your car. Um, but that's how deer work. It's just instinct. They follow the leader and they go as their children and then they just operate. And obviously we as people were called to to be more and putting that answer is that not the way that, that I taught it, but makes or was taught, but makes a lot of sense that the obligation is to make space for the Lord at least once a week, as far as, as, as the obligation to the faith. And as you said, kind of the, in normal times, the most efficient and effective way to do that is to have the mass um, the way I was taught it was, was you have to receive the Eucharist, but obviously as you just gave a very real point that in times of, of disturbance, we're able to have the bishop say the Eucharist is not that it's devalued in any sense, but the obligation of still keeping the Lord in your heart 
is something that's very important. And even, at least in my diocese, when they do the, the Mass and we watch it through the Internet, they have what's called the Prayer of Spiritual Communion, that since we can't get the communion here in this moment, we can at least spiritually imbibe it. So, in a very real sense, you just made the case about the importance of of going to church. Whenever we look at the elements of why social connected, that's important, and why we're called to do more. And I think that's part of what I was trying to get to as well, as far as the obligations call us to do more. And if we blatantly don't follow them, we get gridlock, as you gave an example of India that's literally in gridlock, but spiritually and emotionally and developmentally, we can get into gridlock too, but we just don't see it. You know, you look out the window and see a traffic jam. That's pretty straightforward. But when it's happening within our own selves or developmentally, it's hard to see it. It's it's a limitation. It's there, and we might be able to feel it and have no idea how to express it, but it's a problem. And this is one of those inherent benefits that being together in, in the faith community brings that I know I do a poor job of articulating that the obligation to hold the Lord's day would really help with. You know, we've discussed many times of how you can get so tied up in immediate dings in your life, mostly from your phone, that ultimately boil up to be nothing positive. They might just create angst from reading something on a news feed. They might just be a random distraction. They might be a social rabbit hole. But at the end of the day, nothing really positive or, or profitable comes from that experience except for wearing out your mind. And I know one of the benefits that I get when I'm in church, is, as you've mentioned before with some other examples, is the calming effect that, that you can essentially... With the Lord, it's calmer. There's not, he's not going to make your phone have 20 notifications a minute. You know, it, it, that's just not how it works. And I think ultimately, as all things get turned to the good, that makes sense. You know, we are called to bring to a peace of calm. And that I think that, as you said, when you don't follow an obligation, we're inherently encroaching upon someone's rights. Because a right counterbalance would be the obligation to follow it. To use your Indy example, we're obligated to follow the speed limit and stay on our side of the road. If we don't do either, neither one of us can really move because there will be chaos. And I wanted to, to just focus on that about how bringing the time, again, even if it's not particularly in a physical mass today, or in a church today because of various rollings depending upon where we're at. But just the the essence of why it's important to hold this obligation to calm ourselves and to be with God at least once a week. Well, and, and just to draw a little bit of uh, contrast to what you said earlier, Joe, about the obligation to receive the Eucharist. So there was never an obligation to receive the Eucharist. Uh, there was an obligation to worship God in the context of the Mass. Uh, receiving the Eucharist every time we go to Mass is kind of a, a little bit more of a modern phenomenon. But uh, in any event, we don't need to receive the Eucharist to worship God in the Mass. And it's the gathering together for worship. You know, um, 
we have a little bit of a sense of the importance of Thanksgiving. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you learned this from your parents. It's like, you know, your uncle Johnny bought you a present. So you got to write him a thank you note. That's justice. He did something for you. At least you should thank him for that. Um, we, we thank people. They give us a gift. And from the earliest days, our parents say, what, what do you say, Johnny? What, what do you say, Joey? Thank you. Thank you, Grandpa. All right. You know, we, do, we have a, a very fundamental sense of the importance of gratitude. A lot of things we can't repay. I mean, when you were five, you couldn't give a gift in kind to your Uncle Johnny when he bought you a, a Lego set for 30 bucks, because in the next 10 years of your life, you weren't going to have 30 bucks to give him back. But at least you could thank him, you know. And so we have a sense that Thanksgiving is a matter of justice. It's the least that we can do in order to acknowledge the goodness of someone else to us. So who do you thank for the fact that you exist? Uh, well, in one sense, you thank your parents because they could have killed you uh, in the womb or at age three. Uh, most parents want to. So uh, you can thank your parents that you still exist, that you're alive. And, but, but your parents didn't create you in a more fundamental sense. They didn't actually create your DNA and they didn't create the organism. Where, where did you come from? You know, why, why do you exist? And, and who do we thank for that? So at this very fundamental level, and this is the religious impulse of every culture from the beginning of time, there's a sense of like, we need to thank somebody that we exist. Now we can't repay this. No matter what you do, you'll never be able to make your creator exist. You know, we can't, we'll never have enough money We'll never have enough credit. We'll never have enough to say, you know, to, to give back in kind. Even to our parents, they said yes to life to welcome us into the world. We can't ever do that for them. There's no sense of reciprocation in an absolute, even when we talk about, well, you know, when I was in diapers, they took care of me and in their old age, they're in diapers and I take care of them. Well, it's still not the same because, uh, you know, well, for all kinds of reasons, but for at the fundamental reason, we can't conceive our parents, even as much as there may be some analogs that happen in some cases that we, we give back in some concrete ways, we can never repay them. So uh, the, the Catholic faith calls that the virtue of piety, which is a sub-virtue of justice. Uh, justice gives to each his due. Piety gives as much as we can to those that we can't really repay. We can't repay our parents. We can't repay our nation. We can't repay God. But what can we do? We can at least thank them. We can give them due honor and glory. We can build up our parents. And, that, and we have a sense of this. Like it's, we, we sense the healthiness of it. When, when children or when somebody is successful and they say, you know, um, I did a lot of great things, and I'm I, I'm glad that I could do that. I'm glad I'm receiving this honor. But you know, I really owe it to my mom and my dad, who really taught me, who formed me, who gave me the best of what I have. Not everybody can say that. I mean, not every parent is uh, is 
is amazing as has formed us but we we acknowledge we sense the goodness of that like yeah there's something right about that 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 person acknowledges their parents and they acknowledge their country i i'm grateful for this land in which i have the freedoms that i'm able to carry out this kind of work that i had the flexibility i'm grateful for my teachers who invested in me i'm grateful for those i worked for uh, who gave me more than simply what I earned by my wage, you know, or, or that I that I worked for in my wage. So, you know, it's like we have a sense of the importance of repaying those that we can't repay in another way. How do you repay God? And and I think that's the pressing question that that lays on our hearts. How do I repay God? And God has said, okay, listen, set aside everything else for a day and focus on repaying God for a day. And then again, we should feel like, how do I possibly do this? How can I repay God for all that he has done for me? And the psalmist says, how can I repay the Lord for the good he has done for me? The cup of salvation I will raise and I will call on the Lord's name. And so there's something about praise and worship. And again, we have the highest form of that in the Eucharist. So when we can be there physically and we can offer that form of participation in the Eucharist, that's optimal as a way of repaying God, of saying thank you to God for what I could never possibly repay. And that's the virtue of religion. That's a, a, a part of the virtue of piety. Piety is towards our nation and towards our parents. And then especially the virtue of religion is focused on repaying the Lord. And, and in that sense, there's an obligation placed on us by the fact of our existence, by the fact of a debt that I can't repay. And so that debt that I can't repay at least obliges me to give what I can. What can I, how can I respond to that? Well, I'm obliged. We, we use that expression sometimes. People say, well, you know, here's a, here's a, a, a donut. Thank you. Much obliged. I feel obligated by the gift that you have given me to repay you or someone else to say thank you for this and to give as, as I have received. And so, you know, it would do us good, again, at the level of our humanity. You know, it's good when we're hungry and that moves us to eat food and that food sustains our, our plant nature. Um, but at the, at the level of social uh, bonds, which are essential to who we are, it's good to feel the obligation. It's good to feel obliged towards those who have given us life, who have given us opportunities, who have been good to us, and above all to God, to feel some way, how do I repay? How do I give back? How do I respond? How do I acknowledge? How do I thank? We should feel that. And then if you start generating it from that place up, then we start to reconstruct what it is that we're doing. And that becomes really the font of religion. You know, from the beginning, human beings, normal human beings have felt that and have found ways. Well, I'll give the best of what I have. Let me just, let me sacrifice the best of the crop. Like I didn't create the bulls that provide food for my table. They came from somewhere. God, God created them. How do I give them back to him? There's an impulse of like, 
I, I need to say thank you for this and, and to recognize these don't ultimately belong to me. They belong first to him and he has entrusted them to me and he has fed me with them. So I'm going to give one of them back or the, the first fruits of the harvest. I got a hundred apples on a tree and I think, wow, what did I do to deserve this? Now I cultivated the ground and I planted the seeds and I, you know, I did some things to get the bugs off the tree and I worked but I didn't, I didn't create apples. I mean, this is amazing. This is so much greater than I am. God, God, God has given us this, this gift. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to offer a couple of these apples up and say, this is my acknowledgement that there's something greater than me at work here. And I'm grateful for that. And then we can kind of develop that. And that's where the impulse of, of sacrifice and, and ultimately, the sacrifice that redeems us. God says, well, here, let me give you a sacrifice. I'm going to show you my love. And he offers himself on the cross for us. And then he says, you know, you can, you can keep offering this. Unite yourself to this offering. This can be the sacrifice now that lets you say thank you, that lets you respond to love with love. You know, so anyway, that's the, that's the kind of internal movement that, that generates this this obligation of worship. Interestingly, you know, I think the word, if I'm not mistaken, I think obligation and religion, that legio, that legio that's, uh, that's there, ligare is to bind. And uh, binding back is religion, you know, binding to is, is obligation, but there's a bond that that it already exists and how do i respond how do i nurture how do i nourish and strengthen that bond you know there's an obligation creates a bond and religion is acknowledging a bond that's there and that's a good bond that's a that's part of what makes us human makes us different than the animals there's a there's a quality to that bonding which is a good thing so anyway i just rambled on some more about uh uh, some some points that are that are hopefully helpful, but but again, it, you know, insofar as we're not able to, as people may not be able to attend mass or may you know that it's not obligated by the church's law at this time that this obligation has been lifted. Still, let's feel that need to say thank you to God and find a way to do that, and probably that'll lead you to like well. The mass is a really good prayer, so let's at least watch it on TV, and let's do that in a way that is really sacrificing something meaningful, not like having it on TV while I'm eating potato chips and basically doing my email. You know, I mean, that's not really saying thank you to God. That's saying like you don't matter that much. You're worth being on in the background. <laughs> no, let's do better than that. We can do better than that. How can we really focus our attention on Him? And then, of course. Worship is a fundamental way. And then acts of charity. You know, Jesus said he gave us a new law. Love one another as I love you. And so how do I show if you love me, do what I command you, says the Lord. Well, that's how we respond. You know, it's like you show your wife that, Joe. You know, like if she keeps telling you to do stuff and you just ignore and you say, I love you, honey. And then you just ignore her all day. Like, how is she supposed to feel that you actually love her? If you love me, do what I command you. I'm asking you to do something for me. So, you know, that's that's where giving God our full attention, carrying out his command in our lives, offering that sacrifice of ourselves for something, a greater purpose, 
ultimately for him, you know, these are, these are ways that we live out the virtue of religion, that we say thank you to the one that we ultimately can't repay, but we can at least thank him for what he has done for us. And I thank you for that because, A, you gave us something for all us to do between the weeks of these releases is to go out and, and truly have thankful and joy as you're being thankful. As you could hear in your voice there that you are happy that you're able to do this. And a secret behind it is that being thankful does create happier lives. It's a fact. Um, scientists have been able to prove that. So we're not just saying that because we want you to be happy. We're saying it because it works. So with that being said, uh, we definitely thank everyone for, for being with us. in Today's episode went a little bit longer than normal. And we will be with you again here next week.